De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're going to measure revenue operation success. Joining us is Ray Reich, who is the Chief Evangelism Officer at RevOps Squared, which enables B2B SaaS company executives and investors to make metrics-driven, benchmark-informed decisions using an interactive benchmarking process. The benefits include accelerating efficient revenue growth and increasing enterprise value. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Ray is the host and founder of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Yesterday, Ray and I talked about RevOps KPIs and performance metrics. And today, we're going to talk about the difference between leading and lagging revenue indicators. Okay, here's my conversation with Ray Reich, the Chief Evangelism Officer at RevOps Squared. Ray, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. So, Ray, we talked yesterday quite a bit about trailing indicators, and we talked about some of the evolution. We talked about how magic number begat the rule of 40, which begat which we feel like is a much more nuanced way of capturing performance, which was LTV to CAC ratio. One thing we didn't talk about, surprisingly, was NDR. That really is one of the crown jewel metrics we're looking at. Talk to us about what that is and why that's important. In fact, NDR, which stands for net dollar retention, is now the number one and the highest correlated SaaS metric to enterprise value to revenue multiples. And what net dollar retention is, is you take a cohort of customers from a year ago and you look at that same cohort today and you see how much ARR is being generated by that same cohort of customers now versus a year ago. And this includes any downsells, any churn, but also any upsells, cross-sells, and expansion. And in this new world of product-led growth, we're seeing best-in-class companies having 130 to 150% NDR, which means if their customers were generating 10 million last year, they're generating 40 to 50% more this year. Same customer base without adding in new customer logos. So it's equivalent to looking at your favorite team's draft picks from 10 years ago and seeing how those draft picks worked out, right? Do we have all pros? Do we have uh, scrubs? Did anybody even make the team? So it's really thinking about it from a class of standpoint to measure health. Makes a lot of sense to me, Ray. But we spent a lot of time uh, yesterday and we're starting off talking about trailing indicators. Here's the thing that most of us in the revenue generation really have to focus on at a day-to-day basis, which is what are the leading indicators that I have to pay attention to so I can make good directional decisions and adjust the business as I need to? So Ray, start us out. What are some of the leading indicators you recommend out to your clients and why? I'm going to give you a framework first, Doug, and then we'll get right into it. But we are RevOps squared. 
And I have a kind of leading indicators for each order of RevOps. And R equals the rates of conversion. And we'll talk about each one of these. E is what are the exception insights you're seeing to process. V is what's the velocity from initial engagement to customer acquisition and then expansion. O is what's your operational efficiency throughout the customer life cycle. P, what's your process automation efficiency and how does that impact these lagging indicators? And S is what's your stakeholder satisfaction? So those are that's the framework for the leading indicators. And I'm happy to go into more detail on each one of those with some good examples. So take us through efficiency, because I feel like as marketers and sales and revenue professionals, quite often, that's the thing we miss, right? We miss opportunities to make our revenue generation more efficient. So drill on, on that for me for a bit, right? So with the O, operational efficiency, we do a lot of benchmarking and research. And recently, we in our research, we found that a sales development representative, that resource that's responsible for doing outbound prospecting, lead generation, and setting up meetings, they're spending less than 50% of their time actually doing outbound prospecting. Number one, just so you know, less than 50% of people even capture that number. Then if you do capture how much time they're spending doing outbound prospecting, how can you increase that if it's only 49% today? So we look at things like how much time are they spending on just administrative tasks, internal meetings, Salesforce updating, et cetera. The second thing is data management. How much time is that sales development representative spending time on enhancing their contact record or trying to find out where's the data for my lead record or cadence building? Everyone's got a sales engagement platform we see a lot of SDRs spending 10 to 20% of their time building email sequences. But best-in-class companies like Salesforce are taking all those administrative and non-prospecting time off the shoulders of the SDRs, and the RevOps team's doing that work for them. So that's one efficiency. Second is efficiency based upon what's the quality of the data that your sales organization is using. How do you measure that? Number one is how long does it take from the time they get a list to be able to reach out to each one of those people on the list? Phone numbers are missing. Emails are incorrect. Emails are bouncing. So just measuring data quality is another operational efficiency that a lot of organizations miss and what RevOps is responsible for. Third thing is activity. A lot of organizations are saying, well, we got to do 100 outbound activities a day. But they don't major it, whether it's 50 emails and 40 dials and 10 social posts, et cetera. But more importantly, what's the effectiveness of each of those activities? If I can do 50 emails and get five email conversations, that might be more effective than 40 dials and only one conversation. So that's another operational efficiency metric is activity levels and activity outcome rates. And you mentioned that best in class, it's only best in class organizations that are measuring. Are there recommendations that you have, Ray, for people to be able to be best in class? In other words, how do you kind of integrate this idea of capture in your day-to-day work? Is that about tooling? Is that about a process or is that about both? Yeah, it starts with what a good RevOps. And I, I talk a lot about RevOps because they're responsible for all these operational infrastructure and processes, right, Doug? So number one, you've got to really map your process understand from that initial 
outbound outreach to a target buyer, every potential step in that customer journey. So map the process. Then you're going to want to look at who's responsible and is it a manual or is it an automated task? So the automation looks for increased operational efficiency, but it might also look at taking responsibility off your internal staff and putting it on your customer. An example, if you're doing a value calculator, the customer can engage with that value calculator. They're already understanding how your product could impact my business ROI, but they're doing the work versus you. It's almost like e-commerce. One of the beautiful things about e-commerce is we've taken the selling cost off the retailer's floor clerk, and we've put that selling cost on us. We have to buy a computer, we have to pay for the internet, and we're spending time looking versus asking people about the product. So Ray, I think that all makes a, a ton of sense, but I also know that quite often we as revenue leaders get enamored quite often with the wrong leading indicators. So what are those things that you find your clients getting tripped up by? And when is enough enough with those metrics? Well, this is one of the challenges of leading indicators. A lot of time departments say, well, I'm going to be responsible for a leading indicator like the number of leads or number of website visitors. But the outcome of a high quality lead is a qualified opportunity that sells and can, can work and convert it into a name customer. So I believe, this is one person's opinion, the most overly focused metric is number of leads or number of marketing qualified leads or even response time to a lead. Now, people are like, wait a minute, why aren't leads important? What well, we do need to know the conversion rate from a qualified lead to a qualified opportunity to a close. But you may end up saying, well, I want to have a higher conversion rate and be more efficient. And the way I do that is actually decrease the number of leads, but the decreased number of leads are higher quality. So they convert at a higher rate and they generate new ARR. So the second thing, and this is going to create a lot of noise out there in the marketplace, is marketing attribution. Well, I touched that um, person six times who became a qualified opportunity. So it's attributed to marketing. And I'm like, let's focus on how many people put their hand up and say, I want to talk to whether it's I want to talk to a salesperson or if you're a product-led company, I'm going to go ahead and opt in to be a freemium or free trial customer. Those are inbound leads. That's the ultimate outcome measurement of marketing investment. And I think that's where we should stop it in with marketing ROI is how much pipeline, how many qualified opportunities, and how much revenue am I driving per marketing dollar invested. And what about different organizations' way of determining what a lead equals, right? So quite often, SQL versus MQL, and you'll have these conversations. Now, we don't have these anymore, cocktail parties, because of the pandemic, but occasionally you'd have one. And you'd have conversations with fellow marketer and sales folks, and that would always be, seem to be the center. What is an SQL equal and what is an MQL equal? Are there things you recommend in terms of standardizing that before you start talking about what conversion rates are? The most important thing is that marketing and sales together determine the attributes of a marketing qualified lead. And that's the most important thing. So each company is going to be a little bit different. And it's usually going to include the firmographic information, things like size of company, maybe the industry that they're in. They might want to look at technographic information, things like, well, what's their install base of CRM? If they have Salesforce, good, but if they have HubSpot, it's not as good a customer. 
you might want to look at the actual account score. And that's kind of a new part of a marketing qualified lead or a marketing qualified account. And then how much engagement has that company had with your marketing content? And that might be not just a single person, but three people have done it or five people have bought it or have done it. You've heard about intent data. Are they searching for terms that resonate with your solution across multiple websites? So just look at all these attributes and gain agreement. So that's number one, Doug. And then create a baseline. Once you have agreed upon criteria for what a marketing qualified lead is and a sales qualified opportunity, what's the conversion rate? Let's say the conversion rate from an MQL to an opportunity is 10%. I don't care if it's 10 or 30. You can't benchmark that. But if you were 10% last quarter and you were 9% this quarter, you're going to target 10 or 11% next quarter, not seven. But if it goes down to seven, you're like, oh, I may have an issue. And here's the dirty little secret a lot of people won't say. If they're majored just on MQLs and they generated 1,000 last quarter, but they only generated 800, a lot of times they change your criteria for MQL to make it easier. That's why just MQL criteria by itself doesn't matter. It's the conversion rate and the ongoing persistence and improvement of that conversion rate. So Ray, you mentioned attribution. I'm going to get back to that because I feel like that's a hot topic between sales and marketing quite often. But what I also want to understand is the difference between how you recommend measures between different business models. Let's say PLG versus other businesses. Are there metrics you recommend for PLG companies versus other businesses? So for the listening audience, if they don't aren't familiar with PLG, it stands for product-led growth. And this is where a company's initial usage of your product is done in a self-service way, primarily through a free trial or a freemium product. Zoom is one of the most popular ones of this where you could buy the entry level of Zoom for no money. But once you wanted to have more than 40 minutes of a conversation, you upgraded to their base level. So in product-led growth, the metrics that are most important are number one, a product qualified lead. And very similar to marketing qualified lead, but you look at how much are they using your product? Do they actually go and use a feature that typically provides an aha high value moment? And that's when you want a salesperson to reach out because they've reached that high value moment. So that's a product qualified lead. The second you're looking at is activation rate. And activation rate's not conversion to a paid customer. It's have they used the product enough where they hit a point in the product's value that they're going to be stickier? An example in Twilio, which is a product-led growth company, once they did so many points of integration to different applications, that was the activation rate. Because once they've integrated to two or more products, that was a time to say, it's sticky and I'm going to go sell you. So we've got product-qualified lead. We have activation rate. And those are kind of the, the two big ones I would talk about. Ray, that's incredibly helpful. Let's take ourselves back from the product-led growth metrics. Let's spend a little time talking about how a lot of B2B marketers and salespeople are struggling with metrics that help determine two really different motions. I think quite often we think about inbound and we quite often think about the metrics associated with inbound and they feel familiar and comfortable for us, like a warm blanket. Where we often struggle, Ray, though, is what are those metrics around ABS? So in this case, ABS, meaning account-based strategies. What are the metrics you typically recommend there? Because we're talking about a whole, it's almost like product-led growth, right? There's enough difference between PLG, 
and outbound and inbound as there is anything else, right? So what did you recommend? What do you recommend from an ABS standpoint in terms of measurement there? It's interesting. We just conducted some research and only about 35% of B2B SaaS companies have a formalized account-based program. But when you do have an account-based program, the first thing you're looking at is you're going away from leads to accounts. So the first best practice is determine what's a marketing qualified account and what's a sales qualified account. And a marketing qualified account is typically based upon, does it fit into my ICP? How many different people have engaged with our content? What pieces of content are they engaging with? What does the intent data say? And you score the account. Now, the sales qualified account, they're also going to make sure they're talking to the right people. So if they're selling an HR platform, they want to make sure that it's the head of benefits and comp or head of HR, CHRO, et cetera. So getting more information around that. And then for sales qualified opportunities, a lot of time it's, are they in market? Are they just trying to educate themselves or are they going to try to buy something here in the next 6, 12, 18 months? So different terminology, but the same concept, marketing qualified accounts and sales qualified accounts. Now, the other thing is the go-to-market strategy needs to be very integrated. So marketing is going to have, they're going to reach out to this account and these people. And then the sales organization knows when they're going to reach out and they might follow up the same day with an outbound phone call. Or marketing might send an invitation to a webinar and the salesperson within 24 hours is sending a high impact, maybe a white paper about how some of their competitors have used their product and what the ROI was. So it needs to be a very integrated approach. And then the last thing I'll say about account-based, it's almost like marketing automation was 15 years ago. We didn't really have a way to automate a lot of the outbound emails and they were able to, if someone was interested, route the leads, right? Like a Marketo does. Only 13% of B2B SaaS companies have an account-based platform in place. And research hot off the press from last week, it's going to double in 2022. 13 to 14% more B2B SaaS companies are going to buy an account-based platform because they're finding it's the account-based opportunities on average are 40% larger. So if you sell for $50,000, a strategic account done right is probably going to be an average of 70,000 ACV. Yeah, I think uh, we have come along as marketers and sales professionals in understanding uh, the benefits of ABS or ABM. And I have to say, one of the things that I think trips a lot of people up is the measurements you're speaking to. And I think it's really helpful to understand that that translation between the inbound funnel and that outbound ABS motion, there's a lot of equivalencies. But I've got to ask a little bit slightly more detailed question, Ray, because this is also something we wrestle with when we're thinking about ABS. We have to decide whether or not we want to approach a one-to-one, a one-to-few, or a one-to-many motion. And then, again, that's all determined based on the business type right? Depends on what your business model is and what's best for you. But do you find yourself recommending different metrics based on whether or not the ABS approach is, say, one-to-one versus, say, one-to-few or one-to-many? Or do you feel like the metrics you talked about hold water well across all those three motions? That's a great question. And I think there's three types of account-based programs. One is truly strategic account-based marketing, and that's a one-to-one. If you're trying to close Ford Motor Car Corporation on your product, you want to take rifle shots. Now, you might say, I'm going to try to reach the CHRO, the head of benefits and comp, 
and maybe the head of training. So you might have multiple people, but everything's focused on that one company. So that's strategic ABM. And then you have it on the totally opposite end of that. And it's almost B2C-like. And let's say you're focused on the SMEs and you're trying to cover every restaurant in the small business category, right? Less than 10 locations. That's more like a mass market approach. It's still strategic because you're going after restaurants, right? And the messaging is going to be similar. The value property is going to be similar. The challenges you're facing, but that's much more like a mass marketing approach. And then you have that middle ground. Let's say you're going after mid-market companies in the manufacturing industry. You're going to have some mass marketing approach. You're going to send some generic emails, et cetera. And when I say generic, dear, insert name here, Doug, insert company here, you know, Acme Manufacturing, but you're not going to have the same level of investment to have microsites built with their brand, et cetera. So I just call that your regular account-based programs. I do want to mention one thing because, and I'm tying it back to what we measure I think one of the most critical things to measure in a strategic account program is your stage-by-stage conversion rate. Because if you have someone that you're saying is a sales-qualified opportunity, but 50 to 60% of those are falling off before they become a, you go into discovery mode, you've got an issue. The issue might be you're targeting wrong, maybe you're qualifying wrong, maybe your content's wrong. So in strategic account-based programs, please, please, the one biggest request I would have is measure your stage-by-stage conversion rates and look where you have bottlenecks and gaps. Ray, thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation. All right, folks, that's a wrap for this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Ray Reich, Chief Evangelism Officer at RevOps Squared for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Ray, you can find a link in his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at Ray Reich, or visit his company website at revopsquare.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generated Podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.